Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. If you are looking for vendor process training for you or your entire vendor team, head over to my site at DeborahRRichardson.com and click on the Vendor Team Training Solved button to learn more about what is included in the annual plan and also to download a training schedule. Get the training that you and your team needs to avoid payment fraud, duplicate vendors, compliance fines, and more. Age-old question, should accounts payable or purchasing own the vendor master file? And whichever one owns it, the other team wants them to be knowledgeable about what is important to them. So what is important to each team? And so I'll talk about that and then also stay tuned to hear which department or group I think should own it. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 180. Does AP or purchasing own the vendor master file? views from both sides on key issues. So first of all, I do want to say that I am well aware that there is another option. A separate team can own the vendor master file like a master data governance team. You see so often with companies that have uh, the SAP uh, ERP or accounting ERP system. Um, But what I'm really talking about here is that friction that always exists between accounts payable or AP and the purchasing team, especially highlighted when one owns the vendor master file and the other one does not. Now, I do want to define the term vendor master file. Um, The vendor master file or master vendor file or supplier vendor or supplier master file, whatever you want to call it, That is the collection of vendor data entered and stored in your system of record. Um, And for most of you out there, that is your accounting system or ERP. It houses the vendor information that is used to match against invoices in order to post them. It houses remittance information for payments and ordering addresses uh, to issue purchase orders. So the information that is uh, collected and validated uh, for that vendor setup um, for that vendor record in your vendor master file is critical. Uh, hopefully the function of adding and updating vendor records in your vendor master file is taken seriously to avoid fraudulent payments, uh, compliance fines, and really just all ju- uh, just overall bad vendor data. 
Um, if you think you have gaps in that process, by the way, I'll leave a link in the show notes if you'd like to schedule a free vendor process risk assessment, uh, no matter who owns it, purchasing um, uh, accounts payable or a master data governance or some other team. So whomever has ownership of the vendor master file has a huge responsibility to maintain a set of records that is critical to both accounts payable and purchasing. And if done wrong, can lead to issues like fraud or late payments that damage the relationship with the vendor. And you definitely don't want to do that. And I do want to deal with the whole segregation of duties issue uh, or separation of duties issue. No one team member should be able to create a vendor, generate a purchase order, post an invoice, and then pay a vendor. That is just inviting um, what is called internal or occupational fraud. And that might also be why purchasing may own the vendor master file in some companies since three of the four activities are done in accounts payable. Now, there are compensatory controls that can be put into place to mitigate that risk. If you And if you want to hear more about that, listen to episode five, where I go into more detail and those compensatory controls really allows that function to be in accounts payable versus purchasing or a separate department. All right. So now that we're done with kind of the intro into what is the vendor master file and just taking that segregation of duties issue off the table, let's talk about the views of accounts payable and procurement uh, under five key or four or five key concerns or issues. And for each of these, uh, I am also going to include one resolution, but I am sure you guys have more resolutions that you may have come up with to mitigate uh, whatever concerns the other department may have, or maybe you haven't, and this will give you uh, at least one resolution. So we're going to start with the first one, uh, and this is actually the start of the whole process, and that is when you initially onboard that vendor. So number one is vendor onboarding, the compliance, and the information capture. So from first person of the accounts payable team, hey, we need to take compliance seriously. If we do not collect the IRS W-9 or IRS W-8 form, if it's a foreign payee, we can't do the IRS 10 match, which may lead to fines and a very manual process where the IRS requires us to collect the W-9 from the vendor. And if any of you have been through the B-notice process um, for reportable vendors, because when you filed with the IRS, the legal name and tax ID did not match, then you know what I'm talking about. And you might also have gotten fines uh, as well. Now, in addition to IRS compliance fines, um, we can also be fined if we do business with a vendor that appears on, uh, for example, OFAC sanction list or a federal exclusion list like what's um, uh, required uh, from the Office of Inspector General or the System of Award Management or SAM uh, exclusion list. And both of those, OIG and SAM are for, um, or OIG and SAM are if you have federal funds. And so 
if you do business with vendors on those lists, you could be in for uh, substantial fines. And so you do want to make sure that um, the watch lists are checked. Oh, and we also need, by the way, um, the contract so that we can know the negotiated payment terms. Now, how often, AP, do you not receive the contract? And in some cases, if you have a default payment term, you just use that only to be, you know, get that phone call from the vendor when the payment's not made in the 30 days or whatever the negotiated rate is, that's less than your default terms. So getting that contract in advance means that um, accounts payable, we can then uh, enter in that correct payment term and then get that vendor paid on time. So that was the accounts payable side. So let's look at the purchasing side, again, taking it into first person. So from purchasing, we need to make sure we have a valid ordering address and an email address or fax number. Um, I know some of you out there still have fax numbers um, so that we can send purchase orders to our vendors that we took so long to source and negotiate a price for that saves our company money. Now, both of those uh, different viewpoints, accounts payable and purchasing, if you look at it, they still need... um, specific data to be collected from the vendor at the time of setup. And so the resolution that I have come up with is that accounts payable and purchasing needs to work together. They need to get together, design design the vendor onboarding requirements, even making sure the accounting system at ERP is in line with those requirements. So for example, making sure that an email address, that field is required uh, as part of the vendor setup process. So if you don't enter that email address, you're not able to save the record. That kind of forces the issue that you need that email address. You also need to design desktop procedures that make it clear what documents what information and what processes are required to satisfy both departments and then implement a vendor process audit to make sure that they are done. And I will tell you, um, before the fraud really started taking over um, uh, a few years back, we used to have, when I was a practitioner, uh, a contact page that we gave access to our, uh, we gave access to, to our purchasing team. And what they would do is they would come in and they would update the email address and the contact person, because that is the screen that they used, um, when they sent out the, uh, automated purchase order. So as soon as the purchase order was issued, it automatically sent it to that email address. And so, um, be, uh, as a fraud mitigation, we actually took that away. And so we worked with the purchasing team to make sure that we were doing the same thing that they were doing in order to update that screen so that they didn't have any interruption in their uh, the distribution of the purchase order. So again, work together. All right, so that was number one. Number two is vendor changes. And again, with compliance 
and information capture. So from the accounts payable side, we may still need the same documents collected during the onboarding process, depending on what has changed. Also, if the contract terms change, let us know and send us a copy so we can pay the vendor according to the new payment terms if it's different. Now, from the purchasing viewpoint, um, purchasing may say, did a vendor's payment return and AP put the vendor on hold so no future payments will go out until it's resolved? Let us know so that we can salvage that vendor relationship and I'm not or purchasing is not blindsided when the vendor reaches out to complain about a payment. I know that happens uh, a lot. Again, that communication between accounts payable and purchasing is critical. So one resolution is that AP should CC the purchasing buyer on the email that is sent out to obtain updated information. All right, so that was number two. Number three is inactive vendors. And this actual issue used to happen all the time. Um, as soon as we inactivated a vendor in accounts payable because they didn't have activity in purchase orders, invoices, payments, or vendor record updates, the purchasing team would need them. And so from the purchasing view, we're gonna start with that one first. Purchasing is like, can you just stop inactivating vendors that we will need? From the accounts payable view, the vendor has not been active for 15, 18, or 24 months, and we need to make sure that the vendor information is still valid. All they have to do, and I'm, and I'm saying that knowing that is much harder than all they have to do, but all they have to do is resubmit their W-9, company branded ACH form, whatever you require for your vendor setup um, to be reactivated. Now, one resolution is, and we used to do this, is to post all inactivated vendors on the company intranet so the purchasing team knows in advance which ones will need to have their onboarding documents collected again. Also include in your vendor policy, the fact that this process will take place, how often it will take place and what the criteria for inactivation is so that purchasing is aware that this will occur. It doesn't mean that you have to give purchasing a list of vendors before they are inactivated um, because it should not require approval. The whole purpose of the inactivation is so you can keep the uh, vendor information up to date and it is not up to date if they have not had activity in that 15, 18 or 24 months or whatever you determine your threshold is. All right. So that was number three. Number four is strategic vendors. So let's talk about this first from the purchasing perspective um, and purchasing is saying, will you stop setting up all those vendors from God knows which internal team members when we already have a vendor um, for that product or service that they are trying to buy? Now, I will tell you, we used to get this all the time in accounts payable, and maybe you can relate. Um, purchasing may feel that AP is setting up too many vendors. And I will say, 
they do have a point. But from the AP point of view, you know, we are not in a position to determine and or research if there is a PO vendor already set up that is sufficient for whatever the internal team member is trying to purchase. In absence of that, we just make a rule that we are setting up the vendor as long as they comply with our requirements. So what is one resolution for that? Is to create and then make sure you enforce your company's purchase order policy. So PO compliance was a big thing. That was one of the ways that um, we eliminated or reduced the number of new vendors because they had to comply with the purchase order policy. So if, uh, for example, if your threshold for a PO was $2,500 and an internal team member um, wanted to, you know, use a vendor that they know to, for some goods or services and it's above that amount, guess what? It's going to go to purchasing and purchasing is going to find that strategic vendor that can always already provide that good or goods or services that will satisfy that request and it will eliminate an additional vendor being set up. All right, so that was number four. So the last one is spend data and reporting. And I know most of you, especially in these recent years, um, realize that there's lots of spend uh, information in accounts payable that can be used for higher purposes. And so from the accounts payable point of view, let's start there first. So accounts payable saying, hey, we are busy trying to process, I don't know how many uh, invoices per month. Um, we're trying to avoid fraud. We're trying to keep the vendor master file up to date. We're trying to avoid compliance files. We're trying to make sure payments do not come back. Yes, we have spend data, but who has time to put that into reports every month or whenever those reports are being um, requested. Plus, much of that information is in different systems. That's not always synced with the accounting system or ERP. So it may not even be included in the reports that we give you. So from the purchasing side of uh, side, they're probably saying you have spend data that is important to us, but we need it in a specific way for it to be meaningful. For example, hierarchy information stored in the vendor master file would be helpful so that we can do roll up reporting. Now, remember what AP said, they have other priorities. So one resolution um, is you know, today, especially in larger organizations, vendor data can exist in multiple systems outside of the ERP to support different functions. Um, but working together, procurement and AP can integrate or sync vendor validated data to ensure we're all working with the same information. And then you can create or someone can create a dashboard of reports to display that integrated information into a set of reports that can be accessed anytime. And my recommendation is to 
identify a separate group, a separate team member or members to handle that function. Um, Maybe that can be that value added function that can be given to those that would otherwise be displaced by AP automation. And I know a lot of you, if you haven't had uh, implemented any type of AP automation since the pandemic, you're looking at it now. um, And you all know that if you give up team members, especially in AP, you give up FTEs or positions, you don't always get those back. So better to revalue or to uh, have those uh, positions uh, assigned to more value added activities. And this could be one of them. And I will tell you, we did do this when I was a practitioner. Um, In addition to that, we also added what was it? Hierarchy data. So we had a couple of fields that were added to our ERPs uh, and we added uh, hierarchy hierarchy data that we got from, I believe it was done in Bradstreet so that we could um, do roll up uh, reporting uh, uh, for our purchasing team. So you have the information or you can add the information and then find a way to uh, generate those reports so that uh, purchasing and your company can really benefit from that spend data. So I hope these five key concerns or issues uh, helps both AP and procurement to see each other's sides. And again, maybe there's something I missed on the procurement side, especially, right? So be sure to email me or let me know. And perhaps I will have that in a future episode. And finally, as promised, here is who I believe should have ownership of the vendor master file. AP all the way. Why? One, AP is dealing with vendors that are not all purchase order vendors. Again, a PO policy can reduce the amount of non-PO vendors, but the reality is, is that uh, AP deals with more than just PO vendors. Um, The next thing is, is that AP is usually the one responsible for compliance and those fines from the IRS and from organizations that maintain watch lists. They are high and can cost your company millions. If we just look at um, the U.S. requirement for checking against the uh, OFAC list, the Office of Foreign Assets and Control, you can get both civil and criminal penalties if you pay a vendor that is on that list. And that can be in the millions. So someone has to focus on the vendor data. But I will also say that the ideal situation is for both teams to work together. So each gets what they want or close to it. And with this podcast episode, hopefully it can bring you one step closer to collaboration. All right. So thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 180. 80th episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy. Stay happy.